Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. COVID-19 vaccines are complex. They come in multiple platforms, volumes, indications, as well as dilution and storage instructions. Because of this, the potential for error is real. Pharmacists are uniquely positioned to mitigate risk while serving as educators and in clinical roles. Here with me to discuss these issues are two of my Vizient colleagues, Dr. Emily Deal, Pharmacy Executive for CHA, and Dr. John Schoen, Senior Clinical Manager of Drug Information. I'm Gretchen Brubble, Pharmacy Executive Director with the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. Welcome back to the podcast, John, and welcome, Emily. Thanks, Gretchen. Happy to be back. Thanks, Gretchen. Very excited to be here. Tell me a little bit about your backgrounds. My name is Emily Deal. I am a board-certified pediatric pharmacist. I've been part of the Vizient team for a little over 15 years now. And through my experience, my primary focus here has been on contributing to clinical materials and cost savings opportunities for our member hospitals. I primarily support the Children's Hospital Association, which covers 32 of our freestanding children's hospitals across the country. Over the past three years, I really dug in and helped support our Vizient members with the COVID pediatric support. My background really started at the University of Missouri in Kansas City School of Pharmacy. Then I completed my Pete specialty residency at La Bonner Children's Hospital in Memphis. After that, I worked at a couple of freestanding pediatric hospitals before I came to Vizient. And John, our listeners know you from your recent pneumococcal vaccine podcast, but why don't you give us a refresher? I'm John Chown. I'm a senior clinical manager of drug information on the Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence team at Vizient. I'm responsible for preparing various practice-based resources such as side-by-side comparisons, FAQs, and clinical bench toolkits around utilization initiatives. I also help lead and coordinate our expert panels that bring external subject matter experts together to review literature and provide expert-based guidance around clinical controversies. Within the CPPE team, I also serve as the infectious disease lead and I'm involved in coordinating all ID-related projects on the clinical team. Prior to joining Vizient, I worked as a drug policy and formulary management pharmacist at a large academic medical center for six and a half years. Before that, I completed my residency training at University of Utah, including a PGY-1 and a PGY-2 in drug information. We're really excited to have both of you here to share your expertise. What's been happening lately with COVID-19 vaccines? I can start by discussing some of the changes with the adult recommendations. On August 31st, FDA granted emergency use authorization or EUA for the bivalent versions of the COVID-19 vaccines in adults. The bivalent formulations contain both the ancestral strain of SARS-CoV-2 as well as a combination of BA4, BA5 lineages for the Omicron variant of SARS-CoV-2. On September 1st, CDC endorsed the ACIP recommendations for the use of these updated boosters. And for Pfizer, that was for people 12 years of age and older. And for Moderna, that's 18 and older. The updated bivalent boosters are recommended to be given at least two months after the receipt of the last COVID vaccine, whether that be either the last dose of the primary series or a previously authorized monovalent booster dose. And with the authorization of the bivalent boosters, the authorization for the use of the monovalent Pfizer and Moderna products for use as a booster dose in adults was withdrawn. So these monovalent products for both Pfizer and Moderna are now only for use in primary series in adults. More recently, on October 19th, Novavax product, which is a monovalent product, it's a non-mRNA vaccine, actually received an EUA for use as a booster dose as well. This makes it the third booster dose product that is available and the only monovalent booster that is available. This does not have an Omicron-specific component. It's the same vaccine that's used for both the primary series and the booster dose. And what's interesting is the language in the EUA for this particular vaccine. It targets a very specific patient population. The 
language in the EUA indicates that the use of Novavax product as a booster dose is only recommended in adults 18 years and older. So note the primary series is now available to anyone 12 and older for Novavax. It was originally 18, but it's now 12 and older. But for right now, the booster dose is specifically for 18 and older in whom an mRNA vaccine, so either Pfizer or Moderna, is not either accessible or clinically appropriate or in those who elect to receive this product because they would otherwise not receive a booster dose of the COVID vaccine. It's important to note for this particular product, though, the booster dose interval is different than the mRNA vaccines. It's to be given six months following the completion of a primary series with an authorized vaccine, whereas the Pfizer and Moderna bivalent boosters are given two months after the last COVID vaccine. Really starting to hear some of those complexities coming through in your description. Emily, what are you seeing out there in the COVID-19 vaccine space right now? With the Pete stuff, we really saw a big interest change with the Delta variant. So the Alpha variant and the Delta variant really started to infect the pediatric patients. And with that, the vaccination of the adults pushed not only the virus, but it also pushed our target of patients that were getting sick and getting hospitalized into that pediatric space, which we were uncovered previously with the vaccine. We did see a big increase in the pediatric hospitalizations, not so much the deaths, so it still wasn't near as severe of an infection as we were seeing in the older patients. We were seeing an increase in the hospitalizations and an increase in positives in the pediatric age. In November 2021, we saw that the EUA extended down to the 5 to 11 years of age patients for the Pfizer-BioNTech product. Since then, the two major leaders in pediatric vaccination space, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech, forged forward to get all the pediatric patients vaccinated down to six months of age. We saw that approval mid-June to include those six months to five years for Pfizer and six months to six years for Moderna. On October 12th, the FDA amended the EUA for Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech to allow the bivalent version of a booster in the younger age groups at two months following the monovalent primary series. Pfizer was granted boosters at this point for five years to 11 and 12 years and up. Moderna was granted approval for six months of age to 17 years of age. We had a bigger gap there, but there is a little bit difference with the age group. So you really need to keep track of that when the practitioners are applying that vaccine to their patients or even talking to their patients within those age groups. We are still working to review the follow-up data from six months to five for the Pfizer and six for the Moderna. The age discrepancy is something to keep in mind because when the patients are presenting for their booster doses, you have to keep in mind that the booster for Moderna will be six years of age to 11, whereas the Pfizer does go down to the five years of age, and that can lead to a dose error. Additionally, the Pfizer is a three-dose primary series. The patients that are six months through four years of age will get three doses for their primary vaccine, whereas the Moderna patients will get a two-dose series from six months to five years of age. It's definitely a lot. And continuing with this theme of complexity, what are some of the concerns now? One of the main concerns is around medication safety, particularly from the potential for medication errors. And ISMP has a lot of good resources around this, and they put together a list of top medication error concerns each year for the focus moving into the next year. And starting with ISMP's top 10 list in 2020, which was published early 2021, COVID vaccine errors were one of the potential concerns for that list. When you look at the following year, the top 10 list in 2021, they actually have four specific items out of the top 10 just related 
related to COVID-19 vaccines. I'll just highlight those four specific errors around the med safety concerns with COVID vaccines. For the first one, they highlighted the mix-up between pediatric and adult formulations. There's a variety of different formulations, not only just different products, but even within the product, different formulations, different dosing, just a really big potential for mix-ups if that's not managed appropriately. The other potential source of error is mix-ups between the primary series and booster doses. In addition to mixing up potentially the adult and pediatric formulations, there are other potential mix-ups such as different COVID vaccine products. And within the same manufacturer, there are different products for both the primary series and booster dose series. Moderna's product has more distinct labeling between the primary series and the booster doses. For the primary series, the product is a red cap with a light blue border, while the booster dose is a dark blue cap with a gray border. With Moderna, the dosing is different. So that's the tricky piece, at least for Pfizer. The dose is 30 micrograms for the primary series in adults, and the booster is also a 30 microgram dose. But with Moderna, the dosing is different. So for the primary series, the dose is 100 micrograms, while the booster dose is 50 micrograms in adults. Another potential source of error is dilution, specifically with the Pfizer vaccines. The Moderna vaccines do not require dilution. However, some of the Pfizer products do. In adults, two products are available for use in the primary series. There's a product with a gray cap with a gray border that does not require dilution. But there is also the other product that's available that does require dilution with 1.8 mLs of normal saline. And this comes as a purple cap and a purple border label. These products also have different beyond use dates. The purple cap product has a beyond use date of six hours after dilution, while the gray cap Pfizer product has a beyond use date of 12 hours after vial pump. And per ISMP, there have been a variety of med errors reported in which either too much or too little of the Pfizer vaccine has been administered when practitioners use the wrong volume of diluent or if they accidentally select the wrong diluent. Patients who never receive the vaccine still must complete the primary series with the Monovela product. And there's been lots of discussion about that during the pediatric and the adult booster review. That caused issues for both practitioners and the patients. So when administering the product, you really need to be clear about whether you're giving the primary dose or the booster dose to the patient. Of note, the Pfizer bivalent booster is only available in one formulation and does not require dilution. And finally, the last error that's mentioned in the ISMP article on the top 10 list is around the administration of epinephrine instead of COVID vaccines. There's actually been numerous mix-ups where this has been reported in which epinephrine has been given accidentally instead of the COVID vaccine. And this is likely attributable to the need to have epinephrine readily available to treat anaphylaxis. It also is because of the shortage of syringes. So we're drawing up the epi in syringes that look the same as the vaccine. Oh, good point. And these mix-ups can occur when you have look-alike pre-drawn syringes of the products that are next to one another. Additionally, some of the epinephrine vials may be similar in appearance to the Pfizer Purple Cap product. I will go ahead and pass it over to Emily to talk about some of the pediatric-specific concerns. The co-vaccine labeling and the dosing errors are really the biggest concern. We are also moving from the monovalent to the bivalent, but we have to keep that monovalent around. We are still seeing this dose error that could happen between did we administer a monovalent versus did we administer a bivalent? Are we doing a booster? Are we doing a primary series? We are still seeing that as well in the pediatric space because we have two different products. We have two different ages that go into those products. We have a monovalent as the primary series. We have the bivalent that's now approved in the booster series. For the Moderna 6 to 11 primary series, the vaccine that's a monovalent has a purple band around the label that says booster doses only because we're using the old adult booster dose only vial. 
trial for the pediatric primary series dose because we can no longer use that monovalent booster in the adult population. With the bivalent booster, we're using a gray labeled product that says booster doses only, and then the written drug name has bivalent up there. That contains a blue top. We talked about this blue top versus colored of the label and how we really do need to read that label. Us as pharmacists know that once we get started, we're going to pop that top off and we don't look back at the top again. That really is an operational standpoint where we have to look into how are we stocking those because they're going to look alike when we're stocking them. But once we start drawing them up, we really have to look at that label and make sure that we're drawing up the product that says it's in those doses. With the Moderna bivalent booster vial, we can use half for the 12 years of age and older. And then we use a 0.25 ml for the 6 to 11 years of age. We're using that same vial. So that way we don't have as many vials running around, but we are drawing up different doses depending on the age factor there. And with Pfizer primary series and the booster dose vials, the 12 years of age and older is a gray label and it's not diluted, but the five years to 11 years of age is an orange label and does require dilution. We're not really talking about the maroon one right now because we don't have that booster available yet, but still you've got that maroon one from the primary series. Pfizer did theirs on age base and Moderna tried to incorporate their products into what we already had on the shelf with the adult doses. It is noteworthy to mention that individual patients who've never received a vaccine are still going to have to complete that primary series. And I know we keep saying the monovalent versus the bivalent product, but there is importance in some discussion around why the monovalent still needs to be provided to patients. And there's still some discussion that was really going on during this review, and that can cause issues for both the practitioner and the patients. It also causing concern you're seeing out there in the public where they're trying to understand why we still have to have that original version in there when the primary version is the Omicron. And when we administer that product to the patient, we do need to be clear, are we giving a primary dose or a booster? And that could be a double check into how or what product we're giving that patient. If you look at the patient and say, we're giving you your booster, and they look at you with a weird face, then you know you've maybe made a mistake and they should be getting their primary series. I did really want to explain the variant and then why we have to have these two. And that's because of all the questions that are coming around. And I heard this really great discussion as to the difference in the variants. We're going to use a Disney reference. The original Wuhan is like Pluto ears. Everybody draws Pluto. Sometimes the ears are a little longer. Sometimes they're a little wider because it's just those sloppy, cute little ears that are on the side of Pluto. Well, when we had the original Wuhan, we looked at the Pluto face, right? We had the Pluto face with the Pluto ears hanging off of it. As we've gone through, the ears got a little wider, maybe a little longer, and that was alpha, beta, delta, but it was still the main function or the main structure of the Wuhan strain. Once we got into the Omicron, we added a whole another extra side chain. So now we got Mickey ears. So now Pluto wants to wear the fake Mickey ears. And so we really did have to keep both of these strains of the viruses in the vaccine because we have to be able to recognize the original in the case the original mutates into a different area. And then we have to add these side chains that Omicron decided he needed to be Mickey. We needed to add those Mickey ears on. And that's the way that our immune system can recognize both strains. And that's why we still have to have the original and the Omicron in there. That's a great analogy for pediatrics, Emily. Thank you for that. Always taking it back to the kids. Yeah, absolutely. You've both done a really good job of describing the multiple challenges here. Really, what can be done to mitigate all these risks? In addition to outlining the potential concerns around the medication errors, ISMP also does a really good job of offering various recommendations to help mitigate the risk for the potential med errors with the COVID vaccines. And when I read through them, I felt like these can sort of be grouped into three different categories. For the first category, this involves the need to make sure that you know what product the patient needs to do so. That's necessary to verify vaccine history in order to select the appropriate product. 
this is important because the primary series must be completed prior to giving booster doses. This was true for the monovalent booster doses, and this is still true for the new bivalent booster doses. You also need to know the timing of the previous COVID vaccine. For the Pfizer and Moderna bivalent boosters, they need to be spaced by at least two months since the last COVID vaccine, which was either the last dose in the primary series or the last monovalent booster. For the Novavax, this needs to be spaced by six months instead of the two months for that booster dose following the completion of an approved primary series. And just of note, the Novavax booster specifically is only intended as a first booster dose. The other category involves additional measures to take to further help avoid vaccine mix-ups. One important step you can take is to separate the storage of the vaccine formulations. For example, you can have separate bins with clear labeling that can be used for the different vaccine products intended for either booster or primary series. And this definitely applies to the Pfizer and Moderna products because they both have different formulations for their primary series and their boosters with the monovalent primary series and bivalent booster doses. For Novavax, however, the same vaccine is used for both the primary series and the booster dose with it being the monovalent for both of those cases. Barcode technology is another element that can be incorporated to help reduce the risk of vaccine mix-ups. This should be used both during preparation and administration when possible to help confirm that you have the correct vaccine. It's also important if you're going to have your syringes drawn up to have labels ready to place on those syringes. And all the syringes should be clearly labeled and you can either print out a label for each patient or you can have pre-print labels that can be used to distinguish the different formulations and doses. Additionally, it is important to also implement a workflow that ensures that you only have one patient at a time that you're vaccinating only bringing the intended vaccine to the location where you plan to vaccinate that specific patient at a time. For example, if you had a family that was coming in and they were all getting the vaccines, you'd really only want to be bringing the one vaccine at a time to make sure that you're giving the adult dose to the parents and not having that potential for mix-up. It's important to engage the patient. You can do this in a number of ways. You can have them read off the label and verify it's the correct vaccine and just engage them in verifying that the correct product is being used. The last category is documentation and reporting. It's essential to document all vaccine administrations, and this documentation should include the lot number and date of the manufacturer prior to vaccine administration. Following vaccine administration, you need to document this in the patient's profile, vaccine record, putting it on their COVID card and giving that to the patient. If med errors do occur, it's also important to report these errors through the proper channels. As part of the EUAs for the COVID vaccines, it is mandatory to report vaccine errors through the vaccine adverse event reporting system. Additionally, vaccine errors can also be reported through ISMP's National Vaccine Errors Reporting Program. John, I think all those mitigation strategies are very similar in the pediatric space, measuring appropriate doses, volume, making sure you have the right patients. The pediatric situation has some extra vials that were added in there. They did, if you look at the Pfizer, try to color code it based on age, which means you still have to read when you get to the bivalent product, and they did code it that way. Moderna tried to consolidate and just use smaller volumes, which is difficult when you're trying to draw those up. Separating that storage by the age group, having a workflow that doesn't drop syringes previously prior to administration or batching is probably something that we're looking against at this time because we're no longer mass vaccinating these patients. Verifying the age, the name, using the nurse as a second check, even including the parent and the patient in the process. 
this is a very emotional situation, not only to vaccinate yourself, but it's also an emotional situation to vaccinate your child. When you get into that space, you're finding parents who are very apprehensive, like they were okay vaccinating themselves or telling their parents to go get vaccinated as an elderly patient. But when you get into vaccinating their kids, they want to protect their kids. You really do have to weigh in that moment where this is protecting them. They have to look at that and they say, I have to protect my child. That's my job. And right now the risks outweigh the benefits or the benefits outweigh the risk and how you want to look at that including the parent, showing them the vial, saying, we're giving your patient, your child this, your child is this age to this age, because all that's on the vial. You could show them the vial and that helps them be part of the process. And then maybe it helps them feel a little bit better inside that they're giving their kid a vaccine that you know, hasn't been around that long. At this point, we're at two years and most of these kids have been getting it for about a year and a half. So we have data up to a year and a half on the pediatric patients. I also believe that we're in this rush, rush, rush moment, and we really just need to slow down. When you're doing these vaccines, you just got to slow down and make sure that this is not part of mass making our IV bags or we're making all these things. We have to stop and just read and stop and make sure and then stop and ask questions. And don't feel bad when you made an error or when you do drop the wrong thing and the patient or the nurse or someone else looks at you and says, that's not what I asked for. We have to live in this world where we're okay that everyone is double checking everyone else. I love that you both brought up the concept of raising up the patient and the caregiver, the family, the parent as their own medication safety advocate. I know one technique that I've used myself in the past when getting a vaccination is to say, what's the expiration on that? What brand are you using? Just to prompt that nudge to have the practitioner look at what they're injecting into you one more time before it goes into your arm. And I totally agree with you. As healthcare professionals, we have the confidence to say that. But there's parents out there who don't have the confidence. Like I mentioned about how I asked specifically to see the vial for my own child. And one of my friends was like, well, I didn't even think I could do that. And I'm like, you can, you always can. But I don't think they have the confidence to do that. Starting to include them gives them that confidence. Going back to the complexity, either of you, what are your go-to resources when you need clarity in this space? To stay up to date on the recommendations and what the available products are, first and foremost, the EUAs on the FDA website are a really good resource and they periodically are updated. So I'll go back and check those for all the most current information on the various products. And the CDC website also has a lot of good resources around the vaccines. They maintain a page specifically for all the current recommendations for the COVID vaccines, including useful charts with dosing and intervals broken out by the specific products and age groups. ISMP, they have a lot of good resources around medication safety and specific to COVID vaccines as well. And finally, I'd just like to mention that Vizient also has a number of vaccine resources available to our members, including a vaccine chart that we're updating on a routine basis every time there's any changes to the EUAs or anything like that. It includes dosing information for the Pfizer, Moderna, and the Novavax products. I will second that. That's very helpful. And I know we've kept those up to date. Pharmacy Practice News puts out quite a bit of stuff. ASHP is another place I will go look. The American Academy of Pediatrics is the standard of what is approved in a pediatric or a space that you can go and see what the American Academy of Pediatrics is doing as a recommendation. The American Academy of Family Physicians also puts a standpoint or some kind of recommendation out there. And then ASHP has information for pharmacists within the COVID space. The CDC and the FDA, I also keep track of those. Thank you both for those recommendations. And John, thank you for keeping our Vizient resources up to date. I know that's a lot of work and we definitely appreciate it. Thank you both so much for joining us today to share your expertise and insights in this space. We really appreciate your time and thank you for being on the podcast. Please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. 
Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.